You are listening to the Sports CDP Crash Course, your go-to podcast for all things sports related. We talk about how sports clubs and teams can sell more tickets and merchandise than ever before and how they can negotiate sponsorship agreements of higher value. We also champion women's sports and discuss how data and innovation can help bring equality to the sports industry. We have interviewed industry leaders who have worked with the likes of the NFL, FC Barcelona, Women in Football UK, FIBA, the Davis Cup, just to name a few. So don't miss out. Listen to today's episode. Hello, hello. Yeah, we got it. Awesome. Thank you so much. So welcome to this panel um, on marketing the game and the commercialization of women's football. Um, the quality of, I was here yesterday, the quality of the panels has been absolutely superb and it is no different today. We've got an amazing panel here who are really leading the way um, in this space and have an enormous amount of knowledge. I'm going to quickly introduce the panel and then we're going to get into it. So we've got lots to cover. So first of all, to my left, I want to introduce Lindsay Clark, who is a marketing specialist. She didn't want me to say that, but she is. She is a specialist um, at UEFA. So looking after the, the European uh, women's game. We have Sarah Hunter, who's a senior commercial manager um, for women's football at the FA. We have Lorraine Moalesi, who is head of PR and comms uh, at Data Talks, and Data Talks are our partner today um, at the conference. So thank you so much, to them, because without your support, we wouldn't be able to put on amazing events like this. Uh, we have Maggie Murphy, who's the CEO at Lewis FC, and Misha Sher, who's the global head of sport and entertainment and culture at uh, Mediacom. Lots to cover there, lots to cover there. So let's get into this. Um, I think it's fair to say that all the marketing budgets in the world couldn't have bought the stratospheric levels of euphoria and excitement and engagement that the Women's UEFA European Championships uh, created last year, and in particular, the Lioness result in, for England created in that 111th minute of the final. However, uh, the ball has been rolling uh, for some time, and there's a lot of people in this room, on this panel, who are responsible for laying the foundations for the commercial success and future success of women's football, translating that inter uh, international interest and growth into the same growth and interest um, in the domestic game. Yesterday, in the last panel of the session uh, of the day, Dion Dublin said, you know, the women's game's okay. <laughs> but we need to keep nudging it along. We need to keep moving it on. And um, that's also been covered this morning in the, in the first session that we've had. And it's those nudges um, and the innovation and the strategies towards a sustainable commercial model uh, for the women's game is what we're going to discuss today. So I'm going to start on data. There was a brilliant session yesterday on women in tech and data. Um, and actually, really keen point of discussion was about actually, is there any good data about the women's game, whether that's in terms of there's lots on the field, but actually data when it comes to audience insight, because the connection between marketing the game and commercialising um, the game is in data. If we don't know who that audience is, we don't know what their motivations and their behaviours are, then we don't know if we're delivering the right messages, we don't know whether we're really going to be able to, um, uh, you know, create commercial uh, revenue uh, for the game going forward. So I'm going to start with the Lorraine. 
Um, tell me from the work that you're doing and, and at Data Talks what you're seeing in terms of how the fandom for women's football is growing and if there is any change you're identifying in this kind of new growth audience and how that's in kind of informing the advice and the strategic support you're offering to kind of women's football and women's football teams. Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, in the past there was this question of is there any, any interest in women's football? And now we know that there is an interest, right? We've seen with the Euros, over 87,000 people attended. We saw with FC Barcelona versus Wolfsburg that over 90,000 people attended. And now with the World Cup opener between um, the Republic of Ireland and Australia having to be moved to a bigger stadium to accommodate unprecedented ticket demands, to quote uh, FIFA, I think that we now know that there is a huge, huge interest. And I think since we are at the Be Inspired um, conference, I would, I would sort of encourage everyone in the room to really dream higher and sort of set higher goals for women's performance and like whether you work for a federation or a sports club or whatever capacity you work in, sort of set higher goals because we can achieve them and now we know and we've seen the numbers, right? But from what we're seeing, we see that there's huge demand for international games, right? The big names, there's huge demand. But what about the smaller games? What about the domestic games? What kind of demand are we seeing there? And we're seeing that those games are much harder to sell, which can be um, sort of incredibly difficult because how many international or huge games do you have in a year versus the smaller games, right? So we need to find the balance between selling out the huge games and also selling out the smaller games. And so we need to find a way to work with our data or work with whatever strategy that you have so that you make, you make sure that you're selling more tickets across the board, right? And so then the key thing, and you've already mentioned it, is knowing your audience. Right, And this is something that even men's sports clubs that have been established for a very long time aren't really working successfully with. So it's not that we are at a huge disadvantage, it's just that we need to get on with it and, and do it in that sense. And um, this is where data comes in. Um, sports fans, women sports fans in particular, when it comes to social media, they're really willing to give their personal data to different clubs. So you need to be able to work with that, not at their expense, but work with them to give them what they want, right? And so this is where you learn about fans' preferences, learn about fans' um, like their contact information and all that kind of stuff. And so when we talk to different clubs, even including men's clubs, we talk about the four fundamentals of selling more tickets, merchandise, and negotiating sponsorship agreements of higher value. And these are simply first know your audience. So grow your supporter database by collecting information um, that is linked to your different supporters or different fans, and then merging that information with your other data, so your sales data, because then you will know that, okay, Lorraine is a fan, and she has bought tickets, she's bought merchandise, she's bought um, burgers at the stadium when she came in, she likes watching... Uh, the game in stadium versus at home over OTT. So you get to know your fans in that sense. So then you know how to really target them because the way you're going to target a family, a parent who brings their child or children to, to a game is different from how you're going to target Lorraine who kind of comes to the games once in a while, right? So you need to be able to perfect your message across the different people so that you can give them something that they, re they really want because we see that they want to be engaged but it's just up to the clubs to kind of figure out like what does this fan want, what does that fan want? Thank you Lorraine and, and you make a really good point around 
this isn't just an issue related to the women's game. It, it is an issue across actually all sport. Um, and we talked yesterday in the tech um, uh, session actually about how we can really lead on this from a women's game and we can kind of create the model for data and understanding audiences um, in the women's game first. Um, so, Lindsay, I want to talk to you. Um, last year, UEFA launched the business case for women's football, in which it placed the commercial potential commercial value at 686 million by 2033, which is not that far away. Um, tell us more about the role of this ongoing project and how the data insight is, in, uh, is supporting clubs and the game across Europe. Yeah, for sure. I think I could spend a whole session talking about the, the business case. So, um, yeah, I think a couple of key points. In terms of the role of the business case, um, uh, overarchingly, is to let a, a plethora of stakeholders know that the time to invest in the women's game is now. And commercially speaking, the reason the time to invest is now is if you invest now, this is the time that you can make really impactful change. That's the, the point that we are at. Um, there's millions of insights within this, uh, within this uh, document. Um, but I think a key one is um, we've seen that if you put uh, women's football in front of fans, fans will consume it. That, that is key. Um, and I think a really good example of that is looking at the um, broadcast deal between um, the Women's Champions League and DAZN, DAZN YouTube. Um, so, you know, we've effectively put that competition in front of four billion people for free until the end of this season. Uh, and since that happened, we've seen engagement in over 230 countries. Um, we had a record-breaking viewership for the uh, Women's Champions League final uh, last season. So we do see that there's a, a real appetite there for this. Um, in terms of how this is uh, supporting clubs, um, we've seen that uh, an important part of this is um, working with players. Um, to make sure that they are also part of um, promoting the game. Um, and I think another key insight related to that is that for women's football fans, um, the, majority, major, the majority of them um, consume content relating to the women's game online. So I think marrying those two things together is extremely important. So working with players to, to promote the competitions and also looking at what online offerings are outside of the actual matches as well. So this is something that we take into our marketing strategy for both um, Women's Champions League, um, but also we play strong, if you're aware of that platform, that's also a, a marketing campaign that, that I lead on. So the online content around the games is also hugely important and engaging with the players to make sure they're also um, behind that promotion and behind that uh, visibility is, is also key. Um, I think additionally to that, we've seen that sponsorship is, is the fastest growing revenue stream um, for the women's game. Um, and I think um, in terms of working with partners in that area, um, it's also key that we look at innovative ways to, to do that as well. So from a UEFA perspective, we have, I'd say, more traditional methods of working with partners from an advertising point of view, from, from LED, from that kind of visibility. Um, but taking We Play Strong as an example, we also work with partners on uh, content series, for example, or, or different ways to engage with fans from a social content perspective that in turn means that they'll uh, engage with these, these competitions and in turn means that we're uh, yeah, increasing visibility of the women's game, of clubs, of players, um, etc. Yeah, the business case is incredible. And I can't say that I've gone through every line by line. I know probably many on the panel have. But it is, a, it's an, in, it is an incredible piece of work. Um, 
And, you know, I think we have to realise that we have to put that business case forward and there has to be the data there for people to, to see it and believe it rather than everyone taking a leap, as lots of clubs have done. But it's really important piece of insight. For sure. It's also an ongoing live project. So we will have a, another update with that after the Women's Champions League final for, for this season as well. So uh, the insights are there and will continue to be built on. But yeah, if you ha have not read it or gone through it, there, there's a plethora of information in there that I think from an insight point of view can help uh, yeah, clubs at, at any level. So from that to another ongoing insight project, Sarah, you work at the FA on the commercialisation and the commercial development of the domestic um, women's game here in the UK. Um, tell us more about the Collective Insights pro research programme and how that's kind of fueling the understanding and growth of the fan base here. Yeah, no, absolutely. But I'm also just going to give a nod to uh, Lindsay and, and the project she's mentioned because we're actually working with the team on that. Um, and we'll be hopefully using those insights across our league as well. Um, Going back to the question, so hopefully you all know, Kelly put it on the screen earlier, we've got a really simple message for the women's professional game in this country. We want to be the best professional league in the world. Simple, right? Um, three key objectives. We want to produce and attract world-class talent. We want to maximise and engage our audiences, and we want to grow commercial revenue. Um, that middle portion there, the audience piece, attendance is absolutely key to that. You know, they, they're growing. We've seen that off the back of last summer. They've accelerated. We hope they were going to grow. We've seen it. But we've got to keep them growing. We've gone up 200% in the Super League. We've gone up about 70 to 80% in the Championship. But we've got to make it sustainable. And in terms of, yeah, that's delivering against that middle objective of maximising engaging audiences. But it also has a knock-on effect. That is going to contribute to the bottom line. It's going to drive revenue growth as well. So absolutely key. So we've kicked off a project live at the moment, very, very early stages. It's called the Collective Insights Programme. And it says what it is on the tin. It's about bringing insights together. So it's quite ambitious. It's a complex one because what we're trying to do is we're trying to go out across our 24 clubs, across both of our leagues, and we're trying to look at aggregating and bringing all of their ticketing data together to see how we can use it to identify um, audience trends and attendance trends for our leagues, and then how we can use that insight to really underpin strategies and tactical delivery going forwards. So a really crucial piece of work. Um, as I said, we've only just begun, but we've gone around and we've done all the consultations now. So we've had one-on-ones with two circles who are supporting us on it, um, looking at the individual challenges and the requirements of each club, but also looking at the project as a whole. Um, we've exceeded expectations in terms of buy-in. I think we're up to 90% of clubs have now confirmed participation, which is amazing. Um, getting to the tricky bit now in the aggregating of the data itself, working through the permissions, the agreements, but hopefully we'll start to kick out some of those insights in the coming months. Um, and that'll be available through an insights dashboard, so clubs have immediate access all of the time. Um, and then we'll be holding workshops every three months as well. So an ongoing project. Um, hopefully, you know, in the, the coming seasons, we'll then see that attendance. It's not only driving, but being sustainable and driving those habitual habits of going along to watch some live football. No mean feat, getting all of that together. And that, uh, what I do think is amazing about that project is does just go to show how the collective is working together and understands what, by coming together and working together, the, the good um, for the game in the long term. So I just want to talk a bit about product innovation. Um, I think one of the benefits we have of the women's game being younger is we've got the opportunity to do things differently and to innovate when we don't have perhaps some of the longer term structures in place. And um, Misha, with your experience working and developing brands and, and sports um, across a range of different sports and channels, what can we learn from other sports and, and sectors that could be applicable to women's uh, football to support its commercial growth? Great. Well, there are some great points made around, you know, where's the, you know, where's the opportunity, particularly around data. <clears throat> when you work with 
you know, I've had the benefit of working with some incredible companies over the years, some tech companies, and they are obsessive about their customers, right? Understanding sort of what people want, how they behave, you know, how they move through that sort of customer journey. It's fascinating because that's ultimately what it's about, whether that's, you know, whether you're Amazon or whether you are, you know, Arsenal or Lewis, right? So the more we understand about who we're speaking to or different groups are speaking to, the better we can be around, you know, delivering, um, you know, that kind of experience. So, you know, I think <clears throat> what I always find quite fascinating, you look at the, the, the business world, is something like Amazon, right? So, and I know Amazon sort of, on, you know, up here in terms of on data and being able to, um, uh, you know, interpret their data. But if you think about just dissecting the experience of like, hey, I, you know, someone, you could mention to me now, hey, there's this book that I, I'm, I'll probably start typing this book and in three letters, they'll say, oh, it's this book, right? And you'll pop up, you know, the one, the, the option that's, that's gonna, you know, that is available for me tomorrow, right? we'll, we'll be up there. They already have my contact details. They have my delivery address, whatever. It's the, you know, the ease with which all of this happens is incredible. And what it speaks to is like, they understand like, oh, well, they don't have my address. Or if they make me put, you know, type my address and I might leave or I might, you know, I might get distracted. But all of those things are through because they want to make sure that the experience is very, very, you know, is, is, um, is frictionless, right? So that to me is like, well, how can we take that? How, if understanding that, right? If I go to, now I go to, you know, to Arsenal, you know, to the game, I go, right, well, has the club thought about where I'm arriving? Who am I with? What sort of, you know, what my kids might want to drink? You know, all sorts of things about that, you know, who are we having in our venue? Or how can we make sure that we deliver the most incredible experience understand what, you know, on, uh, delivering on the expectations so that people come back and then we capture their data or they, you know, he went into the shop and he bought something for his daughter. We, so thinking of all of that in advance and being able to nurture that, right, taking that data and being able to apply it so we can, you know, so it's not, there isn't a missed opportunity of like, hey, I came, I purchased, and then you have to sort of retarget, you know, you have to target me at random again. Like, you don't have to. Now you know something about me. Um, from a you know from sport, you know, I look at you know, I look at American sports in general. But you know I've just I've had an opportunity to spend some time in LA with you know with Angel City just recently as well, and you know it's again incredible how they think about not even so much the sport itself because you know that's the bit that you know coaches have to worry about, but just the experience, right? They we have to, everyone in this room has to understand that, you know, to, to be successful, you have to deliver, deliver on the experience. That's what people are looking for, um, especially young people today. It has to be sort of all-encompassing, immersive, you know, I've got, to have, I've got to be able to go there and have an incredible time, right? So it's not enough to say, well, we've got a really good product on the pitch. Well, okay, good, it's a start. But unless we can have, we can deliver an amazing, you know, at Angel City, it's an amazing day out, right? Incredible, like face paint, they've got flares, they've got TIFOs, they've got drums that, you know, I don't even know what's going on, you know, I mean, the, the game is, can be okay or not okay, because you can't control that, but what they, what they will always deliver on is an incredible experience for people, something that people want to come back to. So I think that's, you know, that's where, someone is a huge advocate of the women's game, that's where we need to start that's what we need to think about, is like, what is the experience of women's game? It doesn't have to be a female version of the men's game, by the way, which I think is great. But how can we, you know, how can we sort of think outside the box and make sure that people that are coming there, families that are coming there, 
Um, we understand what they want and we over deliver on the experience so they want to come back and they want to tell other people and that's how we sort of collectively grow the game. Yeah, and it really feels like that's a real strength for the women's game. We've yeah. already got a really good baseline there in terms Absolutely. of that experience and its inclusivity and that kind of culture as fans of women's um, sport. Um, Maggie, Lewis is... In my view, Lewis has really owned innovation, um, really looking at how the club is positioned, marketing, your, your fan-led model. Um, I know you're innovating this weekend. There's a big game this weekend, um, and you're maximising that. But tell us a bit more about innovation at the club and how critical that is for your um, commercial sustainability. Yeah, thank you. Um, for me, I think, when I think about innovation, we get asked about this a lot, and I could probably talk to you about our beach huts that are director's boxes or the fact that we have, I don't know, Asian mayo-loaded fries because we're thinking about doing food and things differently and trying to be innovative in that space. But actually, it's not, that's not really it. I think that for, for me, innovation, before we talk about an app, before we can talk about data, before we can talk about technology or algorithms, we have to figure out what, what we stand for. Like, What's your personality as a club? What do you actually, what are you trying to do? Why would you go to Lewis over Brighton? Why would you go to Charlton over Crystal Palace if you're thinking about localities? And I think what we're trying to do at Lewis is try to position ourselves as a football club that does football better and a football club that wants football to also impact the world. So when we figured that out, we can figure out what's wrong with football. And for us, football has been way too exclusive over the last hundred years. All right, so it's exclusive. So who's being excluded? Okay, let's think. Well, actually, do you know what creatives and artistic people have been excluded? All right, well, let's, let's play around with art. So I don't know whether you guys have seen our match day posters, but we're super playful with how we do it on the men's side and the women's side. Okay, what about people who are kind of like, like gardening? I'm not even kidding, guys. We have now created a community garden inside the ground so you can literally grow tomatoes and watch the game and people do it. Like, and the tomatoes are amazing, by the way. If I've ever been on a phone call with any of you guys in the summer, I might just be like chomping away. That shortage of tomatoes, head down to Lewis this weekend. There we <laughs> They're go. They're not ready yet. They're not ripe yet. But, um, but then, and, and like the obvious one, like women have been excluded, right? Women have been excluded for so long from, from football. So we actually had a target audience, which was unwelcome women. So those people, those women might be women that love football, but have never been to a ground because they've always felt excluded and unwelcome. Or they might be uh, women that don't realise that actually they might like football. So we do so much work in the community trying to tap in like face to face. So before you get to the app, go and talk to someone. Like, you actually go and speak into these different groups. And I'll give you an example. The Women's Institute. Like, who has ever spoken to the Women's Institute about women's football? No one. No one goes and tries to pitch football to, to older women that bake cakes, as the stereotype goes. We went and talked to the Women's Institute. They're like, I never thought about this. I'm coming to a game. And like 10 of them rocked up to a game one day. And they're like, where's the shop? I know that at football games, you have to buy a scarf. I want to buy a scarf. <laughs> they all came along. They were wearing red and black. And then um, the one bit that I really remember was at one point, <laughs> I kid you not, the woman brought out a red velvet cake, red and black. <laughs> and she starts going, would you like a piece of cake to like random people? And I was like, what are you doing? Why are you bringing a cake to a football game? <laughs> And her answer was, why not? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, you're right. Why not? Why would you not bring a cake to a football game? Like, it's a great idea. I had a piece of cake. It was great. And I think what we're trying to figure out is, like, why are people feeling excluded? How do we figure out a way to make them not excluded? And then you don't just say you're welcome. You literally go out and grab them and bring them in. Because I think that's the thing that's missing. 
You can put a sign on the thing saying uh, everyone's welcome, but are they actually at other football clubs? So I think that for us is like figuring out the people and then we can work with Data Talks, who we love, by the way. Um, and then they can help us understand how to talk to our audiences differently. But you've got to figure out your purpose and you've got to figure out your people and what you're doing. The one thing that we do do on, on innovation is, honestly, look, we are hungry. Like, we have to make money. If I don't make money, we die, right? As a club in the championship and the top 20 teams in this country, I don't get, have the luxury of a few zeros being slid across in a spreadsheet from the parent club, right? Mm -hmm. And my biggest concern maybe for this space is that the more successful women's football gets, the more dependent it becomes on men's football. And when you get that dependency, you lose your voice and you lose your personality. And so for me, I think the elephant in the room is how commercially sustainable do teams actually have to be these days or do we just rely on the men's teams? Because if that happens, if we don't figure this out quickly, Lewis FC dies. And I can't be more stark about that because it's like we have to figure out what we're trying to do in this space. Who should be in this space? What does innovation mean? Is it just data or not? Thank Sorry, you. that was... That no, was it's, a, <laughs> it's, a, it's a really, it's, it's a really, really, really important message. And that's why as many, many important things in the women's game, we have to keep pushing and we have to keep investing um, because that is the stark reality of, of the game and we can look at the top of the level and we'll talk about the European Championships again but we have to understand uh, what's going on all the way through different levels of the game. Jackie Oakley, you did start a cake theme today. There's a cake thing going on. <laughs> if we don't have cake at lunchtime, we're in trouble. Um, you, you did uh, tee Lorraine up nicely there because you did uh, talk about the partnership. So, you know, Maggie's working incredibly hard with the, the, the member, you know, your owners yeah. about what you stand for and who you are. And I love that proposition and positioning. But Lorraine, when the data comes in, how, how are you helping Lewis turn that positioning into revenue? Yes. So one of the most important things when it comes to just, I mean, Lewis is an incredible club, right? And we've got it, they've got a huge, huge game the Sunday, qualified for the quarterfinals in the FA for the first time, doing incredible things for the first time. So many eyes are on Lewis FC. And so the, the key really is to make sure that we don't lose that momentum or we don't let that opportunity slip past, right? And so that we get data, more data from more supporters, getting them more engaged. And so that is focusing on the first fundamental, which is growing your supporter base continuously. And so one of the, the fun things to do around this is a thing called gamification. And this is something that we've done with different customers of ours. And um, we're working with a, a different customer, not Lewis, but a different customer who actually, over the period of 24 hours, managed to get 3,000 new signups in 24 hours. And so that is huge because what I'm seeing in the women's sports space is that we're very good at identifying problems and talking about them and identifying opportunities and talking about them. But when it comes to actually just kind of flipping that publicity into something tangible that you can take away from this, that's where the breakdown comes in, right? So one of my fears just with women's sports in general is that we might lose that momentum that the Euros has built up, that the World Cup is building up. So trying to really capture as many people and really take them from just being social media followers to actually contacts in a contact database is very significant. Because when you do 
say you have a million followers on Instagram or whatever social media channel. When you send out a message, it's a post, right? It's generic, it's to everyone. So there's no personalization, there's no sort of relevancy that is customized to each person. And then when you factor in algorithms, the reach is very small. It's not that all the one million people will be reached. It will be something like 8% of that whole total will be reached, right? So it means that you're losing an opportunity. So when you filter those people into your contact database, it means that when you send out an email, it is actually reaching the intended person with the message that you intended for that person. So that is one of the first steps that we're really focusing on to make sure that this publicity that Lewis is getting and that Lewis will get from this game on Sunday, they, they turn that into something super, super tangible. Because then, once they have that data, and um, one of the things that Lewis does very well is sponsorships, right? They've got great partners and Nowadays, the important thing when trying to get more customers, sponsors or investors or trying to negotiate sponsorship agreements of higher value is to come with hard facts, right? Because otherwise then it's like, you're speculating, we might give you this return on investment if this happens. So it becomes wishy-washy. And if people aren't already sold on that they have to invest in women's sports because it's lucrative and there's so many opportunities, it's an excuse for them to kind of go, well, we can't really measure that because you're not coming at us with like hard facts, right? And so getting in those hard facts such as brand affinity, like how many, how many um, of your supporters or your fans actually know that brand, are willing to work with that brand or don't know that brand? Because just because people don't know a brand does not mean that you cannot activate them. So having those very specific metrics to show to potential sponsors and be like, we're demanding this much because we know that we can deliver one, two, three based on this data, that is huge. And so those two areas. That's an amazing segue because I was going to start talking about sponsorship. So it's like we planned it. Um, so uh, I went out to the 2017 Euros in uh, the Netherlands and very excited, jolly on my trip headed out there to see England. I was really excited. And I was, as a sponsorship person, I was like, where are the brands? Where are they? There's no activation. There's nothing going on. Flip forward to this year. The sponsors this year made a genuine difference to the fan engagement and the impact of the tournament. You felt the energy. It wasn't just the games. It was what's going on outside the stadiums. Um, tell us, Lindsay, a bit about... Um, what got you to that position in terms of all those sponsors investing, but most importantly, what does it mean going forwards in terms of sponsors and partners for, for the women's game in Europe? Yeah, love a chance to discuss the Euros for sure. <laughs> um, and yeah, I was as excited, I think, as Jackie's daughter to meet uh, the Spice Girls uh, on, on the, the day of the final as well. Um, I think it's key here to note that for the majority of our global partners, they were in cahoots with us way before Women's Euro. Um, so the key with them first was getting them engaged, invested, uh, you know, alongside us for uh, women's football, generally speaking, and not just for Women's Euro. So then what that became for us was to look at, from a partner point of view, where do they sit or how do they become a really key cog for us in our mission, which was to set uh, a new benchmark for women's European football. Um, so uh, as part of that, um, 
they were already on board and we wanted to look at how we could leverage their support. And yeah, for anyone who was in the UK, you saw our, our partners were phenomenal in terms of um, yeah, activating tenfold to what, what you saw in 2017 for sure, um, but above and beyond uh, maybe even our expectations with our, our partners. Um, I think a really great example um, would be with um, Visa, for example, who um, were hugely behind the, the national um, ticketing um, campaign. You know, they had the, the pre-sale and the investment they put into that. So it was really about, you know, leveraging that enthusiasm um, rather than sort of bringing partners on board at, you know, this, this big celebratory moment. You want to get them on board way before that and, and have them uh, supporting from uh, a different kind of, uh, yeah, level of the women's game, which, which they all do. It was an amazing experience and, and it is great to see many of those partners continuing their investment longer term, thinking about what else they can do because they've obviously felt, felt the benefit um, of the event. Um, Misha, what, what makes a really good sponsorship proposition? What, what's really compelling for a brand and, and particularly thinking at a domestic level, like I think now we can see what the Euros does it's kind of visible it's all you know it's it's got the media agenda but but what is really compelling when you're starting to look at kind of clubs and clubs that may not be in top four may not be in wsl may not be premier league what is compelling to these brands i mean that's a that's a loaded question um i mean the truth is is no you know when we think of uh, when we think of sponsorship i think oftentimes when you haven't sat on the other side of the table, you kind of think about, you're, you're so focused on, like, we need to bring sponsors in, right? We need to bring revenue in. And that's the wrong question to ask because, that, you know, at the end of the day, what, I don't know, what eBay wants and what Visa wants are completely different things, right? So, and if you just come in at it saying, oh, we've got these sort of, you know, we've got our revenue objectives, you start to speak that language and, it's, and it seems very sort of self-serving. Um, so, um, all I would say is, I think if you, if you think about you just have to come at it from you know from a partner's perspective, right? We have to be in everyone in this room when you when you go and talk to a sponsor has to be in the you know in the solutions business. Um, every sponsor, all these companies have different sorry um, different types of objectives in terms of what they want to do. Some of them want to engage with um, you know with parents. Some of them want to um, you know some want to inspire you know uh, you know women or whatever 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 the things are. But you need to understand sort of what what that is and where your particular club can play a part in, sol you know, in, in solving that problem. It doesn't have to, you don't have to get intimidated because oh, you know, our audience isn't as big. It doesn't, it's not about that. Um, you can play, you can, so long as you understand what your, what your audience is and what you can deliver, that proposition can be very compelling. But it has to be, um, but it can't be something where you sort of change the logo and you say, well, now we're pitching to a tech company and tomorrow we're pitching to M&S and the next day it's TikTok, like, because it's just completely, you know, they're, they're completely different things. And I think if you, um, you know, the, the idea for me, sort of sat, having sat on different sides of the table, is like, you know, what is, the, what is the solution where sort of two plus two equals five or one plus one equals three? Like, how can we collectively create value so it's not a, it's, it's not so much a value exchange. We give you this, you give us that, right? We offer you these assets and you give us this amount of money. It's, um, you know, in, in many instances, um, you know, different types of partners can deliver different, you know, different value. So we're particularly, 
you know, if you're looking to grow the game and grow your audience and grow awareness, you know, there are partners out there that can deliver that for you. Um, and, you know, without giving you in kind, let's say, right? So maybe, and I'm making this up, maybe partner with Google and you tap into their YouTube dollars, right? Rather than, you know, rather than necessarily asking them for a check, even though I appreciate that, that could be part of it. But thinking creatively around, like, what does that, what, what does that company do? You know, where do they have offices? What kind of things do they do? What kind of services do they offer? So, and how can that help us in, in a driving revenue, but also achieving our longer term strategic goals? So I think that's, you know, those conversations don't happen that often in, you know, in my experience, it seems to me like just the, you know, the logos that get changed in a proposal. And as a result, I think you often, you know, run into a wall, but that would be my, yeah, and Maggie, uh, Lewis signed a big partner, a global accountancy platform, Zero. They are also a sponsor of uh, the FA and the Lionesses, Grassroots Game, and the Women's World Cup this summer at a global level. Tell me about that conversation. Tell me about that pitch and how you positioned yourself, because that seems quite an extraordinary situation um, and an amazing opportunity for you. Yeah, definitely. Um and zero are amazing. So if you're a small business owner and you're not using zero, <laughs> I don't think zero are here. You get that for free. Um, no, zero are absolutely phenomenal. I think they they actually came to us, which was super special. And actually, one thing maybe to bear in mind: our two or three biggest partners actually came to us rather than the other way around, which is really interesting. They um, so for the first couple of weeks while I was in conversation with their agency, I didn't even know who I was talking to. Uh, or, you know, so it was kind of an interesting one because you're like, I, so I'll just be authentically myself. We'll just authentically be Lewis FC. You're asking me a question, I'm answering it honestly and openly. I didn't realize that they'd been doing research on us for about a year before that conversation started to happen. Um, they knew that they had no background in women's football. They knew they're a New Zealand company originally. So they knew that they wanted to sponsor the Women's World Cup, but they knew that they had no authenticity, no reason to dive in and suddenly be part of, of the World Cup. Um, so they decided that also for their European audience, they wanted to partner with the club. Um, they told us that they ran analysis. I don't know what the analysis was, but they looked for some kind of, like you data people probably understand this, but some kind of affinity index to, to find out what people felt about a club. And they were really shocked by the results because basically Lionesses were here and then all these other clubs were here and then Lewis was also up here. So for whatever reason, there's this club that they probably didn't know how to pronounce that was doing really well. So that's when they started digging in to figure out why is it that people have an affinity with the club. And of course, then you get drawn into our purpose and what we're trying to do and how we're trying to change the game and be leaders in this space. But the, to flip it a little bit, the, the thing I love most about Zero um, was that they came to us and they, we publish our club strategy online so anyone can see it. Any of you guys can see it. Any of our competitors can see it. Um, and they came to us and said, we can help you hit your goals 3 and 3.5 and... Uh, you know, this pillar, you can, we can help you hit these goals. And I just thought, this is the best partnership ever. If you've got a sponsor that wants to come and then help you with your goals, like it's just the most perfect alliance and they've been absolutely phenomenal. So I think it was something about that, that alliance, that connection, um, and they get it. And I think that for all the brilliant partners you have, sometimes we hit our head against a brick wall when sponsors don't understand what it is that they're entering into and they're just like, where's my badge gonna go? Or uh, how much is that? And you're just like, no, it's not about how much is that. It's about what are we gonna do collectively? So, you know, our partners are all people that we do things with. 
that we genuinely kind of partner with on projects or, or different initiatives. It's not just selling a logo space. And back to your point where you focused on what your proposition and what you stand for has come to fruition when it's come to the research. So you stood out, mm. you know, for that, which is brilliant. And, um, you know, they're obviously now enabling you to kind of go further, which is brilliant. Um, I'm keen to talk a bit more about kind of the marketing execution. So some of the more tangible aspects that comes from what we're seeing in terms of data and, and new audiences. So Sarah, I know that the FA recently undertook some research into the women's into women's football fans, but I think particularly you were looking at what what's new, who who is new to the game, and then how does that inform going forward? So we've got women's football ne weekend next weekend. What is what are you doing for fans that are new? Because that's a big moment, big derby games in domestic. I'm guessing the purists, the ones that are always lining up for tickets, who are always first, that they're there. What are you doing for people that are new to draw, draw them in? I'm laughing. I was told to plug women's football weekend, but she's beaten me to it already. <laughs> Next weekend, 24th, 26th of March, games everywhere, up and down the pyramid, celebration of women's football. Make sure you're watching, attending, or following. <laughs> there we go. Plug. Tick. Um, back okay, to the data. back to the question. Um, going back to our objective, maximise and um, engaging our audiences, we identified we've got two real key barriers to that. So we know that we're a really young fandom. Um, so we're in our infancy in terms of established fans versus some of our other sports. So really got to grow that and continue to kind of deepen that engagement. We also know that awareness of our domestic game in our leagues actually is quite low still. So we need to continue growing that as well. So. Um, we've got two big jobs to do and as we said today, you know, there's always more work to do and these two jobs are massive. We've got to grow, we've got to attract new fans, job number one. Job number two, we've then got to retain our fans, we've got to deepen the engagement and drive the connections with those already, you know, really big fans of women's football. We don't want to lose those people. To do all of that, we need to know who our audiences are. So actually, I'm taking the credit, but we've got our marketing team over here. Did a fantastic piece of research with Nielsen um, last summer through to the winter months. Uh, three-part research basis, so we did some um, attendance analysis of historical data, we did some qual research, some lots of discussion groups up and down the country, and we did some quant research, so it was an online survey, um, 2,000 plus respondents pulling in from lots of different channels. Um, and they were, that enabled us to pull out some new fan segments. And you've got to remember, the last time we did this was back in 2019. We identified a young male passionate player, um, very outdated, lots happened in three years. Um, we won a trophy last summer, you know, everything's accelerated. So it was outdated. Um, when we got our fan segments, there wasn't one or two or three, there were seven. Seven different segments. And what that told us is actually, you know, our audience is broadening. Um, we've got new um, audiences coming through. And actually a key point was actually the female fan opportunity is growing. So lots of things starting to come through. Uh, what do we do with that then? We identified the biggest opportunities for growth because this is all about future-proofing and working hard. So we took the three um, categories that we felt were the most appropriate and offered us the most opportunity in the coming years. Purists we've mentioned, they're already football fans. We've got to keep them, we've got to retain them. We've then got to grow, and then we found some two new segments, receptive females. Who are they? They're people that don't know about football, but actually they really like what they're seeing. They're really seeing what it's offering, the values, everything else that we've spoken about, and they want to know more, so let's grab them and take them. And then we've got younger households. They do know about football, they have been following, but actually they want to know more, the appetite's there, so let's take them. 
what we've done with all of that is we're turning it into a tangible marketing campaign. And again, hats off to the people in the room. There's loads of them. We've got Sky at the back near. Um, we've got four games on broadcast next weekend for the Super League. That's the most ever across one weekend. We've got matches at Main Stadia. We've got um, another campaign that's been developed, and this is again off the back of insight that we learned. We learned from the Euros and the subsequent research that actually people are following the game at the moment. Some are following clubs, but actually most people are following the games and the players. So let's drive some club affinity. So we've got a really big activity going out around pick a pride, back a side, pick a team, follow it, support them. We've got creators, influencers, content, awareness driving, ticket driving, loads going on next weekend. It'd be great to see what the results are. We want to smash more records because it seems to be a bit of a habit. Um, we want to keep going. Um, but what will actually be really important then is looking at everything afterwards because this is the first campaign we've done with this new audience research. We want to see if it's working and we want to take it forwards through to the World Cup in the summer as well and then back into next season because it never stops. <laughs> and I think what's quite interesting about that new audience, the receptive females, is... Um, women's sport is drawing them in. They're really interested, I yeah. think, in women's sport and following uh, a variety of women's sport fans, but they'll definitely be following Leah and Jill and yeah. what have you. But they bring a different tone to what you're doing because actually, whilst you've been pushing the league forward in terms of kind of skill and quality and all those things like remain, they're also really interested in empowerment. So that becomes quite an interesting dynamic as well for you to play with. Women's Institute, receptive females, <laughs> women's different audiences. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, that's brilliant. Thank you. Um, the plug has been made for Women's Football Weekend. Um, cool. I, the one thing I'm going to do, I just before we go to questions, I just want to ask like quick fire to each of you. Um, I feel like we've only really touched the surface today. We haven't talked about broadcast. You know, there's so much to talk about. Um, but um, there's many parts of the commercial pie. But if there was one one area to kind of put top of the list that you would be focusing on for your commercial strategy, uh, what would it, for growth, what would that be? And start, just go down the line. Um, I think I've turned this question over quite a lot, actually. I think for me, um, it's looking at ways to build on those audiences that meaningfully engage. And there's a few ways that audiences do that. So, you know, a couple of examples, and um, whether that's uh, online through social content, whether that's through watching games online, um, and then also whether that's you coming to stadium and actually seeing a game in person and looking at new innovative ways that we, we do that. Um, we can see that there's a, a huge uh, social audience online that may not uh, you know, want to consume a game for 90 minutes and, and what are the, the new ways that we can basically build on engaging um, audiences like that um, in non-traditional ways. Great, Sarah? I don't follow rules, I'm going to. Um, growing the fan base, you know, the bigger the game, the bigger the opportunity. So that's absolutely key, we've spoken about it. And then secondly, I think it's really about the narrative in terms of what Maggie's and Misha have touched on it there. In terms of going out there and talking to brands, we're not selling logos on backdrops. You know, we're doing things differently. This is, we've found from the research, 70% around the women's kind of football offer is around the intangibles. It's the sentiments, the values attached to it. And we know that, you know, our fans are receptive to it. So I think it's, it's shifting the narrative of how we go in to try and create partnerships moving forward. Lorraine. Sell out all games, <laughs> even the domestic ones, so that we actually have something sustainable, something that grows continuously and sort of from generation to generation so the next generation can also keep selling up more So tickets. live attendances, ticket sales. Yeah. Data. <laughs> uh, Maggie. I think um, autonomy and independence of thought 
I think that whether you're in a big club structure with another men's team, just making sure you carve out some space for you to have a different voice, different personality, do things, target people differently, don't use the same KPIs. So that independence, I think, is really important. Right. Amisha. I should go back to where I started. I think <clears throat> for me, it comes down to the experience. You know, the experience, you know, we have to prioritize the experience that people have around, you know, around matches, right? So making it accessible, making it fun, uh, making it something that people want to come back to. And everyone's got to ask themselves the question, not as, you know, are the players good enough? And all. I think all of that is getting a lot better, but are people having an amazing time? And what can we do to make sure that that experience is so good, they want to consume it again, they want to tell other people, and that's how we're good. That, that will be, you know, grow commercial revenue, broadcast revenue is great for, you know, it's great TV uh, product um, and everything else. So that for me is... That's great. There's your five-point strategy plan. There we go. <laughs> Done. Tick. Um, I'd love to go to the audience for some questions. Straight away. Go on, Charlotte. I'm quite loud. Hi, Charlotte, head of women's football at COP90. There's a few familiar faces. Um, we talked a lot about audience today. And Lindsay, in uh, your UEFA report, you stated that one in three fans that were new to women's football were new to football. Um, which is amazing. But do you think that brands really understand that huge growth opportunity, both in terms of audience and commercial, that women's football presents? Uh, and sort of the second point to that, how can we get them to shift their mindset from it being the right thing to do to actually like a really smart thing to do? I mean, I can only speak for our partners, but I, I think they're in that space yeah. for sure, and they understand that. Um, there's been a lot of talk around audiences here and for women judo specifically in terms of who we were targeting with audiences, um, our partners were certainly aligned on the fact that yes, there's a women's football audience there to, um, to speak to, but taking this as, a, as the spectacle we wanted it to be, there's uh, loads of other segments that were also relevant from a business point of view for them as well. So um, fans who enjoy major sporting events were, were you know, an audience we wanted to target. Um, fans who followed a national team um, and, you know, didn't hate women's football by any means, but were, were ambivalent towards it, were, were another audience um, that we wanted to speak to. And, and then also Next Generation as well. And I think the fact that we were showing our partners that we were speaking to not just the, the women's football fans who are women, which as we've discussed is, a, a, is the fastest growing audience, but other segments as well that were relevant to them from a business point of view um, was key. Um, I think they do recognize it as a smart thing to do, um, but I. I think that's linked in really closely with it being the right thing to do as well. Um, from our partner perspective, they are really motivated and passionate about being part of a legacy piece. Now, obviously, from a business point of view, that makes a lot of sense because uh, brand affinity is then extremely positive. Uh, but in turn, that, that helps us hugely. So I think that the, the two pieces you speak about there are very closely linked, and I, I think our partners understand that. Um, but, but overall, bringing those things together is, is positive for the women's game. Can I jump in? I think that more important than others understanding the value of women's sports is us understanding the value of women's sports. Because I remember having a conversation with an owner of a, of a club back in Sweden where we're based, and then I was talking to them about sponsorship and all that kind of stuff, and then he was like, no, I, I don't want to make money. I'm doing this out of the goodness of my heart kind of thing. And I was like, I'm literally offering you free marketing right now for <laughs> nothing at all so that you can grow your attendance, but you, you don't want it because you kind of see this as like a, 
a pastime kind of thing. And so I think that one of the reasons that Maggie and Lewis are so successful with sponsorships is because they understand what they stand for. They understand the value that they bring. And she and you've already touched upon like the authenticity and sort of the creative thinking around who they are and how they approach uh, sponsors. So I think that even though it's very important for other people to understand the value of women's sports, it's, it's important for us as women in sports or anyone working with the women's sports space to understand our value because then we move differently and then we demand higher and better. Thank you. Just, yeah, just briefly on that, I think I actually am a little bit more sceptical, um, but mainly because I also speak to sponsors that really don't get it and they're using the wrong KPIs. They're thinking about men's football and they're applying it to us. I had a, um, a conversation, there was a sponsor that had sponsored a couple of women's clubs and a friend of a friend, was like, I just said, I'd love to ask them why they were interested in women's football and why they chose the clubs, just so I can learn. And I was so disappointed with the response. Um, one of the clubs he sponsored, because he was a fan of that club, one, one of the clubs they sponsored because uh, they didn't have a separate women's handle, so they like social media handles, so they thought they were going to get visibility on the men's handles. Yeah. <laughs> this, is, this was a club that didn't promote <coughs> at all their women's side, so they, like, it was so boring yeah. listening to the reasons why they'd sponsored the women's clubs. And I don't, you know, I'm pleased that they sponsored the women's clubs, but honestly, it was the wrong KPIs. So I said, why not us? And they said, oh, your social media, you know, you're not, you've not got that many followers comparatively to a Premier League men's brand that's not going to be promoting the women's side of the club. It's just so disappointing, and that happens far too often. So I think we have to shake up the t decision makers and sponsors as well. Yeah, I think but a perennial problem. I think, look, you raise a really good point. I, I would say, and, and choose, uh, I can't remember who made the point earlier, but you do have to be proud of the product. It's a great yeah. product, right? Like, if you go into a room, people sense the fact that you're like, well, maybe, you know, what do you think? Like, no, it's a compelling product. It's great. The growth is through the roof. Well, I don't know any other sport or anything for that matter that's grown at the pace that, that, women's, that women's, women's football in particular. Um, and I would say, look, do you want to be over here, one of, I don't know, Formula One, how many, you know, how many logos or how many partners or, or, in, or in men's football, or do you want to come in this space and play and, and literally be at the sort of, not, I wouldn't say ground level, but being able to make a meaningful difference and get more, it's a, it's a bang for your buck, but actually, get value for you know a lot more value from your investment or where or over here you're fighting with you know hundreds of other other partners who are trying to speak to the same audience you know so i think there is a there's a really strong argument again from a commercial perspective in may that mm -hmm. you you have a lot more you know you have a lot more space a lot more white space to come in and play you know play a role and if you look at you know if you look at brands that have done that over time that's where real value can be created so yeah we're going to have to round up. I'm going to add my little bit to that as well. I, I wish brands would sit in consumer research groups. I sat in one the other day that tested a partnership between a brand and uh, England uh, women's football. And the response of their potential customers was unbelievable. I mean, one woman was like, oh, my God, I totally get it. Women's football is growing, and I'm a business owner, and I'm, I'm growing, and I have the same ambition. I was like... Oh my God, she's literally just written basically what I do, you know, and it was just so compelling. There was, and that was just the partnership, no campaign. That was two logos next to each other. It was incredibly compelling. So I think we, those are the kind of people we need to get them in testing. We need to see, they need to see and hear that kind of response from their customers. 
Thank you so much uh, to the panel. Um, I think they've been absolutely excellent. We've heard so much, so much insight, so much strategy. Um, I know the majority are going to be around, so I'm sorry we didn't get to more questions, but please, this is what this is about. Network and come and grab them and have a, have a chat. Thank you so much for your time, everyone. If your goal is to get more supporters, superior sales and real revenue, then visit our website at datatalks.se and fill out our demo form to experience firsthand how we can help you. Data Talks, more supporters, superior sales, real revenue.